0: BLOB TALK RADIO
1: Hello? Yeah.
2: Jabar is not going to be on inside of town. In terms oh. of the world. Okay.
0: Latitude Zero. Longitude Zero. Planned by the Creator. Susanthropus was the first man found on the Earth. That Earth was the motherland...
2: Greetings. Uh, This is uh, Brother Anthony. Uh, I'll be uh, moderating this program on behalf of Brother Africa for Africa on the Move. Uh, Let's see. uh, We'll start off by uh, introducing uh, our panelists uh, for this evening, Uh, starting off with Brother Haki. Haki, please introduce yourself.
4: Okay, Brother Anthony, uh, thanks for having me. My name is Haiki Kamafim Mishoki. Currently I'm with African Awareness, and I'm all about institution building. And one of the reasons why institution building is extremely important for the African community is, you know, recently I read an article, and it talked about the Secretary of State of Defense of the U.K., Gavin Williamson. And it talked about the fact that his aspirations in terms of in showing that the U.K. become an you know, imperialist power. And I'm going to read a quote uh, in which you know, he was quoted as saying, This is a quote. He said, London will recast ourselves in a different way and play the role on the world stage of uh, the way the world expects. Well, clearly the implication is that they want to pursue the old way of doing things, which is this old imperialist practice that, it, that Britain is well known for. The mere fact that they want to um, pick up the mantle of imperialism means that they are willing to go into competition uh, with the U.S. Now, also in this article, he talked about the fact that the U.K. was established military bases in the Caribbean and Southeast Asia. So what they're talking about is direct competition with the U.S. in terms of, you know, who's going to be the leading imperialist power. So clearly, that's going to have a big ramifications for, uh, for people both in the U.K. and for the U.S. In the U.S., when we talk about unemployment, when we talk about homelessness, uh, when we talk about lack of access to education, lack of access to food, all those situations become compounded. And the question is, what are we going to do with that? Now, when we talk about when we talk about the UK Pacific, when we talk about this Brexit, when they talk about um, leaving the European Union. This is the opportunity, according to this guy Williamson, uh, to actually you know, uh, uh, start this practice in terms of becoming imperialist imperialist power. Now, even though you look at the history in terms of imperialism, particularly British imperialism, and you look at the history of it, you would think they would choose a different paradigm, a different way in terms of going about doing things. Even though the world is seeking a new paradigm, uh, those in the British the British uh, leadership are content on, you know, challenging the U.S. for the throne of the leading imperialist power of the world. Of course, the United States is not going to simply set by idly and allow the U.K. to become the top British power in the world. So clearly, we can anticipate a great deal of fight between both the U.K. and the U.S. in terms of who's the leading imperial power in the world. But the implications for the masses of people is a grim one. So we need institutions in terms of understanding, you know, the, the results of this kind of purist mindset and what that means to our lives. Without institutions to combat this insanity, then we can anticipate more suffering, more injustice, more hardship. And the question is that as time goes on, increasingly, Financially, more and more people impacted negatively by change the changes that are taking place in the society. So clearly, we need institutions prepare ourselves for the inevitability of this insanity that's, 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 that's coming down the road.
2: Mm. Okay. And, uh, very good points, uh, Brother Haki. Uh, next, we'll go to Brother Robert.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you, and good evening and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race secure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao tongue is the messenger of government. Fathers, help your children. Thank you, brother Anthony, for allowing me to be on the show. You're
2: quite welcome. Okay, uh, we are, uh, so our first segment is what's going on in, in in your world and the community, and I would like to uh, start off with uh, 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 brother Haki. Yes.
4: Yeah, first first brother Anthony, let me just to the family of Jasmine Barnes. Jasmine Barnes was a 7-year-old who was killed in Houston, Texas, as a result of the viciousness of some racist punk uh, who shot into the, the, the family's car and in the process wounding the mother as well as killing a 7-year-old child. So my condolences goes out to Jasmine Barnes and her family, and, uh, you know, I certainly hope that the, uh, that the punk that did this, uh, they'll catch him quickly. And, uh, you know, hopefully he'll get some, um, some justice, you know, behind them bars, you know, once they catch him. Uh, and secondly, let me, uh, in terms of community news, let me just raise this, Brother Anthony, and I think it's very really interesting. You know, often we talk about the, the importance in terms of mass organization. We talk about why it's important that people work together. We talk about the unity of thought. Uh, we also talk about in terms of um, a framework which is created as a result of people understanding, you know, concretely, exactly what's happening, you know, in, in their world. is that understanding in terms of concretely concrete going in your world is makes it possible for you to work together to try to bring about change. Now, we talked about the, last week, a week before, we talked about the yellow vest and kind of mass movement that's taking place right in France. Now, in terms of the success of this movement, one of the things that happened as a result of this uh, movement in, in France is that the, the powers that be in the French government decided that they would tax Google, they would tax Apple, Facebook and Amazon. They talk about imposing a 3% tax on all of those corporations. Now, the question is, now, why would they impose these taxes on the corporations? Well, a couple reasons. First, uh, it's also to appease the Yellow the yellow Vest. The fact that they're actually organized, they understand clearly what the issues are, that it's a threat to the government, and so therefore, they want to try to appease the, the, the people who are participating in those movements in France. But of course, the people in France are very enlightened, they're very and say precisely what the issues are, and they won't allow Macron to, de- to deceive them in terms of you know, some slick talk or, 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 or to, to tell them things that, in fact, uh, uh, have no legitimacy in terms of uh, the situation confronting their everyday lives. Secondly, in doing so, one of the things is that what they hope to do is reduce taxes. We have reduced re- taxes, reduce reduce the burden and responsibility on working-class people to, to pay increasing amounts of taxes. And so, but keep in mind, this only came about as a result of this mass movement uh, that, place, that took place, that's taking place in France. Now, Sajid Ducks often says that politics is not without a demand. The mere fact that the people in France are standing up, the liberal, conservative, left-wing, right-wing, communist, socialists, nationalists, the fact that all these, these different people with different ideologies can work together to create a common good. A, 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 a common good speaks uh, volumes in terms of the mass understanding in terms of why people have to put aside those ideologies and understand that the fundamentally system in France is as with well as global capitalism itself is big about. In fact, the of human beings can never be addressed given the current uh, economic situation as it exists in the world today. And so therefore, the, the yellow vests understand that fundamentally there has to be a change in terms of how business is done. And so we have to, we have to really take our hats off to them in terms of their ability in terms of, to, to, to come out and to, you know, to, to foment that mass opposition. And keep in mind that when we talk about this mass opposition in France, about 70% of the people support these movements, which means that there's a very small minority who oppose these movements. So clearly that kind of clarity in terms of why this movement is important is going to play big dividends for the people in France because it's going to compel those power to address the issues that they're concerned about, namely you know improvement, lack of quality education, being um, overtaxed, you know, over um, lack of affordable housing, those kind of things that, that impact people around the world. So, clearly, the, the people in France are playing a big role in terms of bringing about a different paradigms so possible because of the mass movement. So, this is something that America, we have to understand that, as Frederick Douglass said, nothing can see, Paul can see demand," and we have to understand that reality.
2: Mm, good points, uh, bro- Brother Hockey. Uh, uh, we'll uh, discuss uh, those two a little further. Uh, next, uh, Brother Robert, anything of interest uh, 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 going on in your world and community?
1: Well, Monday, tomorrow, Monday, uh, the 7th of, of January, there will be a demonstration at the White House at 11 a.m., uh, Protesting the militarization of Okinawa and uh, Calling for for demilitarization That they're trying to build More bases in Okinawa and uh, There's a demonstration has been called For that there's been things going on This week uh, uh, But I'll just leave it right there thank you
2: Hey thanks for Sharing that with us brother Robert um, I'm going to uh, Let's see uh, look into uh, for, uh, There's been a in the case of uh, uh, S- S- uh, Sister Jasmine's uh, uh, assassination, there's been a development in that case. Uh, they uh, they arrested a, a suspect uh, yesterday uh, in, in Houston, uh, an African, and uh, and uh, they're looking for another suspect, but they haven't given much details about uh you know uh, about that a suspect or the role that uh you know played and uh, apparent, uh apparently they're saying that the the shooting was a a, a- a case of mistaken identity and uh that doesn't uh and that makes the heinous heinous nature of this crime even worse because uh they intended to, to you know to shoot in uh, into somebody's vehicle or just that um you know what uh, uh what, what was come out so far as that that it was the wrong one and uh let's see i want to raise something concerning about uh the violence that's being perpetrated against africans uh, but which the Afri- which the youth in our community are bearing the brunt of. Uh, two incidents I read of recently. Uh, let's see, this European, uh, 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 a European homeless man attacked uh, uh, a cashier in, in, in a McDonald's in New Orleans when 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 she, uh, when he he didn't get a straw and uh the sister fought back and uh she was uh terminated from her job uh let's see and I mean this speaks volumes about the level of support that uh that that employees get from their employers when uh you you know when that when, you know when there is um you know when violence occurs and another uh uh, situation um uh, let's see a uh, uh, a drunk european uh man uh kicked an african toddler in the back at a Walmart at a Walmart in uh, wichita kansas uh from what i read uh the toddler was not uh injured but um but that kind of attack by a a, a a grown male uh you know kicking a toddler you know, uh, you you know the toddler, uh, you know could have been killed, possibly, and uh, so I, I, uh, you know, just want to, uh, you know, discuss a minute, um, uh, minute, uh, you know, uh, what your what I, what your thoughts are on that, uh, Haki and Brother Moses.
4: Yeah, well, first, you know, the the situation with respect to Jasmine Barnes, you saying. It wasn't it wasn't a white guy who did it. It was an African who, sh- who shot into the car? Is that just another thing? Is that what yeah, that sort of came out
2: over oh, the news more recently, fairly recently. Um, yeah, I know, think this is 20 years
5: old.
4: A, a 20-year-old black guy did this. Yeah.
2: Hmm. And, okay, so the, and the, the, uh, what I'm told it was a case of mistaken identity. And, um, which means that, um, that, 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 they, uh, uh you, you know, that, uh, you know, the intent was to shoot into a car, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the car, uh, the car that they, that, 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 they wanted to shoot
4: into. Well, so, so that, that composite sketch that they made, they're saying that that's not relevant. Oh, so was that discounted? I mean, how that, how does that work? Anybody, anybody who knows? Because my understanding was, I don't know for sure whether they just
2: encountered, because it might been more than one uh, person involved.
4: Interesting, yeah, it's interesting. Well, it goes to show you how uh, how how the propaganda works. Because my understanding was that the only information they had was a composite, and then both the mother and the fifteen year old daughter identified, you know, gave a comp- composite sketch of the particular individual responsible for doing that. and this guy was an African. But even not to say that even if an African did often in heinous, is that you know, a no justification was sort of, if in the fact an African did do that, then he certainly should pay the price. Once he's incarcerated, they should beat the hell out of him, seriously, because clearly mm. I mean, no justification was forever. I know in places like Queens, I know back in the back in the 90s, used to be in Queens, New York, it used to be where well, initiation right? so guys who want to join these, these drug posse, you know, uh, what happens is that. They would tell them in no, order to join this party, we need to have something on you. So what they would have them do, they would drive around at nighttime with their lights off. And if you flash them, then they spray your car. The intent necessarily was, intent, it wasn't necessarily to kill you. The intent was to just, uh, so they could have something on you in case you snitch, that they can tell the police that you're responsible for shooting up a car. So it's a crazy, crazy game. So is, is it possible? I mean, is, is, so what you're saying is it's quite possible. It may have been some situation where uh, maybe some kind of initiation uh, may play a part, but I'm still confused because the whole point, the composite, it was clearly a white guy, and it was he was the only one in the vehicle, in the red vehicle, the pickup truck. So now you're saying no, it was it wasn't it was it was a black guy. They're saying it was a 20 year old black guy. That is that is quite interesting. I'm sure the mother and the, and the, and the oldest daughter know a black guy from a white guy. So, um, so I'm sort of confused here now, so I gotta stay tuned.
2: Yeah, honestly, and, and and the guy and the guy they, they showed in, in handcuffs didn't look anything like that uh sketch. You know, he 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 had pronounced African features, you know. So
1: uh right.
2: but but uh you know, but the thing about it though, but I mean it raises a larger issue, uh, you know, in terms of how we how we go about you know uh, dealing with conflict. I mean uh, I mean and I think it's and I think the violent nature of this society overall has created an atmosphere where people feel they have to resort, uh, you know to uh, you know to the final solution. Uh, you know when uh, when when uh, uh you know when they when, when you know when dealing with their enemies, their perceived enemies.
4: Yeah, well, I think to to some extent, I mean, you know, displaced anger is something that's 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 common to human beings. Uh, you know, if you're angry, it's not unusual that people would take the anger on 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 others, not not necessarily people responsible for the for, for your anger, but someone who uh, could be. Merely be victimized without any possible in terms of any kind of reprisal. So I think that this propensity for human beings to behave that way is very, very 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 natural. I think one of the problems in the context of capitalism, one of the things is when you when you when you historically you have a group of people who've been beaten historically, uh, people who have been perceived as powerless. I think what you happen is you open a door to make it possible for all these kind all this kind of abuse to take place. Because essentially what 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 people are, are seeing is that when you look at African people, they're seeing powerlessness. And so, therefore, powerlessness equates to what? Not being able to, 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 to do anything to me. Acting, I can do anything to you because there's nothing you can do to me. And so, therefore, they become the, the, they become the uh, victims you know, of a lot of this aggression. Like the case I mean, you talked about in Florida, uh, I mean, in Atlanta, Georgia, I believe it was, uh, with this girl who worked at McDonald's, and the guy was angry with her because she didn't give her a straw. Now, obviously, the, the problem was that, listen, she works for McDonald's. She doesn't set the rules. They tell her what to do. And so it's just common sense, you know, you don't get just place anger onto her because the problem is that she just works there. She has no control at all in terms of, you know, the, 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 what the management dictate has to be done. Now, if you had a legitimate concern in terms of not having access to straws, then you should have let me speak to the manager and articulate your concerns to the manager. But, again, what he did was he expressed his anger toward her because again, because his young African sister was perceived as powerless, and so therefore he directed his anger directly at her, even though she had no say so in terms whatsoever in terms of how the how the store was managed. Uh, so I think that that is that is a big problem. But one thing I will say, Brother Anthony, uh, you know, and, 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 and it's just sort of tongue in cheek, but the whole thing was that when he grabbed her, and she could, she tried to try to get him off of her, and he wouldn't let go. Man, that young sister whipped his that young sister went to, went to his ass. I'm like, wow. I was <laughs> like. Wow. Yeah. Well you, know, well, you know,
2: we know. I I read an article on that. She comes from a boxing family, so apparently, <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, uh, <laughs> so, 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 <laughs> You know, so yeah, uh, you know, so I mean, you know,
4: you I would know, like, she, she, like, she retaliates I'm gonna tell you, I got I I I, I had to that up an old over again because I was kept looking. I said, "Whoa!" Because she was doing combinations, boy. She was like doing combination pop 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 pop. You know, <laughs> and she won't backing up, boy. She just threw the combination pop, 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 pop. I'm saying, man, this young lady.
5: Yeah, got but some... the, you know,
2: the, yeah, but, <laughs>
4: but the thing about the put it, to add more context to it, uh, apparently,
2: the 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 city in which this McDonald's uh is located in, uh, they passed Norton the, trying to uh you know to limit uh to a, a limit the dist- uh, the distribution of flat plaster straws. They're only available upon request. They don't automatically back, back make them available. It's kind of like a, a sustainability initiative. It's kind of like a drop. In, uh, it's kind of reformist drop in the bucket, but they, you, you know, it's an effort to try to eliminate pe- plastic waste. You know, like how, you know how sometimes you know pass uh, you know make it uh, you know illegal for stores to give out plastic bags anymore. You know, but. You know, but I, uh, again, you know that was that's the background behind that you know particular McDonald's policy. You know, but yeah, no, right,
5: but,
4: but, but I but mean, the, but, the whole point, but the whole point about that is that you know she had she had no control over terms of you know you know the how the store was managed. She's just an employee. She had no control. Right. That's, that's the point. So the mere point that he felt that he you know that he could grab her you know, and take your anger out on her, speaks to this whole question in terms of displaced anger. And one of the problems that is in, 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 in America, one of the things that people talk about being pragmatic, in other words, they're saying, well, I'm going to be pragmatic, so no matter what happens, I'm not going to do anything, I'm not going to say anything, because I'm being pragmatic. The problem in terms of, cop, in the context of capitalism, when you're pragmatic, then you make yourself a willing, not only a willing scapegoat, but but potentially a victim you know, of aggression simply because you reinforce this notion that you're powerless. And that is the fundamental problem that we're going to confront as a people, because we'd like to believe that well, you know I'm being pragmatic, I don't care what happened I'm, I'm not going to deal with what happened, you know I'm just going to be cool, I'm just going to do me but that's fine in terms of in terms of the in terms of idealism, but reality is objectively speaking is that you know when you you're in a society which is very violent and if you perceive as somehow a weakling or you perceived as somehow powerless, then of course. All the that people feel is going to be directed toward those individuals that feel who are powerless. And this is the point that we have to understand. And this is why organization is so important, you know, for people, particularly communities that are marginalized and and, 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 and and oppressed. It's particularly important for them to be organized because without that organization, without that sense, you know, that you, you can't do, the sense that you, have, that, you can, that, you know, that you can respond to, you know, a travesty of justice or to whatever comes at you, without that sense that you have that capability, then what happens is that you invite the kind of aggression to come at you. And this is the problem. So when you talk about the Nazis and the KKK, you talk about all these groups, you know, who whole plan is to, to vilify, not to vilify, but to, to, to essentially to attack African people, the, the more you reinforce that notion that, in fact, that we are powerless, the more you invite them to attack you. And that's what I don't think people get. They don't get it. That's why organization is so important. But as long as you're perceived as individuals, perceived as, you know, a, 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 a group, you know, a little group here, a little group there, a little group there, or you, you you invite the sense in terms of disorganization, then you invite attack upon your person. And this is a problem that we've been funding with. And that's going only going to get worse. That's not going to get better, Brother Anthony. That's going to get worse. Because as a society deteriorates and the anger grows and grows and grows, and particularly when you have people in political circles who are telling people that the problem Is everybody else? The problem is not the system. The problem is these people. These people are the problem. And the more that you have that, then the more attacks you can anticipate coming in the direction of those who are perceived as powerless. So this is the fundamental problem that we have. Why organizations become extremely important, particularly for African people in America, you know, because there's just no question about it. Historically we have always been scapegoats. We've always been perceived as powerless, and to some extent, they created a system. Across the board, economic, political, and socially To sort of disempower African people And so clearly we got a lot To work against, but we have to have Organization if we're going to prevent these Kinds of wholesale attacks on African people, you know, uh, throughout the U.S. And throughout the world, I might add
1: Oh, Oh, I I, I
2: Agreed uh, completely And uh, Anything you want to add, uh, Brother Robert?
1: Yeah, I think Um the, this this uh uh in this situation uh I'm not sure how organization would have helped her uh um I mean I what 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 are you saying in terms of uh, her being an employee at McDonald's and this guy coming in and this straw and Federal, how would how would organization have played better in that situation? Well you well, let, know, me, let, let me
2: let,
5: let me, me let, let
1: me Go ahead Go
4: ahead, let me give you, in, Yeah, let me just give you let me just give you um, a bit of a uh, a bit of an analogy. Back in the sixes, back in the sixties remember when it, the whole term in terms of you know brothers and sisters was so prominent, right? The perception was that you know if you mess with one African, you're gonna mess with all of Africans. Mm-hmm. It's because of that, which is which is why you can have these kind of attack on African people. Because I mean, not that you didn't have them, but you had occasional hanging here and there. But the mere fact that they were kind of the fact that you met with one African, you mess with all. Uh, sort of, uh, uh, sort of um, indicated a sense of a sense of a sense of power because your ability to work together, and so therefore people had to respect that. And so even if they get angry, they want to grab someone and snack someone. The mere fact that you in this, in this McDonald's, you got all these African people working there. In the 60s, that would have been unthinkable to even touch that girl because, of, see, in the 60s, if he, would, if he would have touched that girl, if he would have touched that girl, he would have got a serious beat down at McDonald's, you know, because of the, because of the conditions that existed at that time. Now we're, we're much more, I think we're much more indoctrinated into the belief that, in fact, that you know, that uh, we're American, we don't see that, you know, our back's against the wall. And so, therefore, we tend to be very individualistic. And so, therefore, with individualistic, comes a sense of powerlessness, and that's what I'm saying. So he grabbed her because he knew there'd be no repercussions. In the sickness, he never would have done that, because if he would have did that, it would have been a price to pay for putting a hand on that, on that young lady. So that's the only point that I'm trying to make. So, you know, so your perception is important. Look at, look at, look at the Zionist uh, community. Look at the Zionist community. Very organized. I mean, you know, the Zionists are very organized. Um, they might even disagree with Zionism. But listen, but when it comes to, say, to Israel, they're united on the question around Israel, all right? And it's because of that sense of unity, it espouses a sense of power because they're a sense, sense of working together. And they may not be liked. People may hate them or whatever, but you can't deny the fact that the sense of power, the sense of working together, the sense of the collective is strong, which can which, which discourage the kind of attacks on the Jewish community at this point. I'm not saying that at some point, given desperation in society, that the racists won't come after the Jewish community, because I'm inclined to believe that they will. But even then, the, the Jewish community response is going to be a united one. Our response is going to be an a individual one. You know, So we have to come together and understand the reality of, of the nature of the beast, because we can't do it individually. And collectively, when we stand together, then people respect that, because it's about, it about the sense... Of power, and that's the only point that I'm trying to make here. You know, you know what I'm saying. So yeah. that's that's. So I, if that's that's if that's you know, if I can make it clear, you know, just let me know.
2: Yeah, yeah, uh, I concur, and um, and the thing about though, and the thing about the disadvantage the advantage of being an organized people. Is that other ethnic groups do not suffer the uh, the, the abuses that Africans are subject to uh, in the U.S. Or or, or or throughout the diaspora, for that matter. And uh, so it's important. So organizations is important. And and because right now, because uh, the condi- living conditions overall are deteriorating, uh, you know, Europeans are. Uh, You know, uh, you know, CEOs as scapegoats for the problems that they have, not the system, and uh, you know, and so, so you, so you have these cases of individual attacks being perpetrated against Africans all over the U.S. Yeah, uh,
4: go ahead, Hockey. Oh, go ahead. Finish your point, brother Anthony. Go ahead. Finish your point. Finish your point.
2: No, my point was that that's why you have the you have stories of Africans being attacked all over the U.S. by Europeans that are that 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 are frustrated, you know, with their plot for various reasons, like the case I told you about what happened in this uh 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 you know uh, store in uh, Wichita, where this uh, uh you know European that was strung out. Attacked this uh, African toddler, Kate him in the back, well, uh, uh, and the thing about it, though, I mean, um, uh, uh, you, you, you know, uh, the, the the mother's back was turned, and she heard a scream from her daughter, and discovered that that, that you know uh, that you know that that her, 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 her son had been attacked, and uh, this European was, uh, scr- was screaming racist obscenities. You know, uh, th- uh, you know, apparently, uh, 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 apparently, out of frustration or whatnot. But that doesn't happen to people that are organized. I mean, uh, you know, look at the Chinese. You never hear stories of uh, Chinese or, uh, or, 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 or 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 Koreans being attacked
4: indiscriminately, right? Right. You know, and, you know, part of the strategy in terms of divide and conquer, uh, is by dividing folks, you render them essentially what you what they're saying is you render them powerless. And this is this is what it's all about. So when we go back so when we go back to the eighties and we look at the um the class stratification strategies that were utilized by people in positions of power, well that's a reason why they did that because they wanted to divide the African community. And if you can divide the African community along class lines, if you can somehow uh, legitimize the notion, you know, that some African people are uh, are great while so many others are, are lacking, then lacking can um, create that, that dichotomy of thought in a, in a community. Then you can effectively divide people, and you can divide them in they're easy to control. So, those who have access to jobs making a little money uh, catch hell but simply because the kind of status that is, that is uh, inferred by having those kind of jobs uh, is resented by people, by, by lots of people who feel that uh, African people shouldn't have that, yeah. kind of, obtain that kind of status. And so, therefore, in the workplace, they catch hell simply because the color of their skin. Because, again, because you're divided, because they're, because they're over here and the rest of the African Union is over there. It's much easier to vilify them. It's much easier to 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 uh, create a situation where where with the impose tremendous stress on them. So even if they do stay there for twenty or thirty years at the job, by the time that they leave, they're essentially broken down. So mission accomplished. So I think that you know. So I think that this whole notion in terms of the uh, the whole divide and conquer thing, I think it's something that at some point that we have to begin to think about and think about the implications of what that means. It's a very difficult thing, but simply when you got specifically when you get that mindset it was all about you meet, you know, when you, you bind to the American ethos, it's all about individualism. Then it's very really easy to be deceived and be caught up into the whole divide and conquer. Now keep in mind divide and conquer doesn't apply to the people in positions of power. Now we talk about the the, the, the the capitalist class, they're very organized. But they will tell you via media that it's okay to be an individual. Don't worry about the collective stuff, just just be an individual. And to, for too long mm. we have brought we have brought into that. And so the kind of kind of um I don't want to say hatred, but the kind of um um what's the term I should use? But the kind of um indifference uh that we have when it comes to Africans who have a little something versus Africans who don't have anything is, ver- is, is, is there's an awful difference between between the two. Uh, the perception and the fact that the problem that African people are self, self, uh, self inflicted uh, is something that exists in the minds of some African people who have a position to make a little money, who have a little status. And so, unless we can overcome that, that foolish way of thinking and understand that we're all in this together, then continue to divide, and, di- divide us, divide and conquer, and which ensure that a sense of uh continue to be uh, of the perception of the day. And so, therefore, it's not unreasonable to people say, so well, you look at African people and so say, well, irrespective of what you do for a living, irrespective of how educated you are, irrespective of where you live, when you look at them and so say, well, uh, somehow these uh, people are powerless. And so this is what we have to understand. And I think there's no getting around that. But whether or not we can get people to understand that, that fundamentalality, only time will tell. But one thing is clear. As the society continues to construct, as things become worse and worse and worse, then clearly uh, we've got some choices we have to be made. Because someone has to be the scapegoat for the for the decline of the, uh, the climate system, someone has to be scapegoated. And this is where the orange individual comes in. The orange menace is perfect in terms of, you know, um, you know, uh, legitimizing racism. He's very very good at that. And so therefore, but he's not alone. It's the whole system, will who support him in terms of, you know, that mindset. So the so the perception that African people are positive is. We can be we, we be best we can be we can we can best be best um, we can best protect ourselves by understanding that this strategy of dividing conquer is real and that we have an obligation, you know, a political moral obligation, you know, to combat that because there's our own self interest. Even if we don't understand at this point in time, but at some point in time we will come to understand the situation to, continue to deteriorate and become worse and worse. So, but. Clearly, uh you know we uh, this this whole focus in terms of individual is something that we have to begin to look at right okay uh, I want to raise one
2: more issue before we go to the to our break uh let's see the federal the the u s federal government is partially shut down, and I say partially because um over Funding for this border wall between the U.S. and Mexico, and I say functionally because um, while while the masses of federal employees are working without getting paid, uh, they uh, they manage to find funding to give raises uh, to the uh, to the executive branch of government. Uh, in other words, uh, uh, the president's uh, cabinet members and whatnot—they're getting raises, while in the meantime, the masses that, uh, uh, the working masses that uh, that keep the federal government going are going without pay. And a lot of those people are are Africans. So uh, so we probably uh, uh, either uh n- uh know or, or or are related to someone that that is in this situation uh let's see i uh, mean any uh any a- 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 anything one anything anyone wants to add to that
4: Brother robert
1: well the federal government i mean is you know this this being held hostage More or less to uh, Trump's, you know, dream of a wall that he claimed that Mexico was going to pay for. And he's obviously backtracked on that. And now he's holding the federal employees hostage uh, for for what seems to be a, a... uh I don't know, it's, it's a bad bad dream of his I think, uh but he's insisted upon it and I hope that the Democrats and the Republicans and the whoever's in, in that in, in uh power uh will come to their senses and, and override override, overwhelmingly override its veto of any legislation that that they might pass, and, and that would fund the government, and uh, because you know this is ridiculous. I mean, there's no reason in the world why 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 we should be building a wall around Mexico, and uh, and certainly the Mexican people are not going to pay for it. And this is just his xenophobia and his hatred of 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 uh, immigrants. Uh, and it's nationalism, it's white nationalism at play, and that's just all I see going on. Thank you yeah, you know you know you
4: know you know you know a certain amount there's a certain amount of um, uh gullibility uh that exists in the minds of so many citizens in the u s uh one of the things is that when you start talking about a partial you know government shutdown. But yet, in the situation, uh, the the politicians can continue to get paid. Their salaries don't get interrupted. Uh, but for the, the overwhelming number of people who depend on those those checks, you know, for the rent, for the mortgage, you know, or, or for just eating, uh, their salaries uh, are stopped. Uh, so it seems to me that uh, you know, at, at at what point do people become outraged over the fact that you know that these politicians have the audacity to create a situation in which they're taking care of by the people that supposedly "quote unquote" represent, are uh, the ones who are victimized in terms of policy. It's very, very, it's very, very interesting uh, in terms of that, 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 you know, that. But in terms of the wall, brother Anthony, you know, I, I, you know, I just find, you know, I, I find it so ridiculous. But then again, we, we, we can divorce ourselves from the political reality of the day. Uh, one of the things in terms of the wall has nothing so much, it has nothing. So, it, it, the wall per se doesn't have much to do with in terms of. Preventing people from coming into the U.S. If people really want to come to the U.S., simply could dig. Under, if even if they build it, they could simply dig under the wall to come to the other side. So, you know, if they really wanted that, you know, but it's not that because the whole thing is that, in terms of the Mexican, uh, you know, uh, coming into the U.S., that flow has since long stopped. I mean, Mexicans no longer come to the U.S. because they realization that there's no work here, there's no jobs, so there's no point, uh, there's no incentive to come to America. Uh, the people who are coming from um, South America who are coming here, they're coming here with desperation. They're coming here precisely because of countries like the U.S. policies, which ensures that their countries are, are marginalized, they're destabilized, and the worst kind of people are, are bribed in positions of power. And so, therefore, they create these horrendous conditions for the mass of people in which, you know, they can't even live out of threat in terms of being killed by gangs. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty horrible. But these are conditions that are created by countries like the United States. So, therefore, it seems to me that if you really wanted to put an end to people, migrants coming to the U.S., then what you do, you tell the US, U.S. government, stop meddling in people's affairs and allow people to run their government in a way in, which they, in way in which their resources are used to the benefit of the people or the citizens in that particular country. Uh, but that's not, that's not how it works. And particularly now that we're talking about a situation where you have increasingly, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, more and more CIA activity in Central and South America, because the whole point is that what they want to do, they want to accomplish two things. First, they, they certainly want to undermine Venezuela, and they want to continue to undermine Nicaragua. But more importantly, ultimately, they want to attack Cuba. And so, therefore, there's been a tremendous amount of CIA uh, uh, adventures in terms of Central and South America. The sole purpose of propping up the most ruthless kind of human beings the world has ever owned. and this guy in, in in Brazil, I mean, this guy is this guy is unbelievable. You think the Orange menace is a is a menace? Well, this guy in Brazil is even worse. And the only difference is that, you know, he's more brazen about it than the Orange menace is in terms of his uh, his uh, his uh, his um, ruthlessness. Racism. So clearly, you mm-hmm. know, uh, huh, huh? Yeah, why well, his, his racism, his sexism. Uh, his uh, uh, his classism, I mean, across the board. There's a reason why they call this guy a thing. It's because this guy don't even function like a human being. He's very very clear that the problem with the problem with the problem with with, with, um, with um, Brazil, uh, as well as the problem in the U. S. and other places in the world, is that it's the the black people are the problem. You know, and he's very clear on that point. You know, these women don't keep their place. They're part of the problem. So you have this guy, you know, with these kind of antiquated views, you know, who ambitions of power. Well, of course, we understand the role the CIA played in terms of bringing this guy to power. You know, the kind of resources it took in terms of deceiving the masses of the people in Brazil, in Brazil to bring this guy to power. And so, the same token, then you got them trying to do all they can in terms of, you know, undermining Venezuela, Nicaragua, and, and these progressive countries, you know, in Central and South America. So these people living under the uh, and you got a situation where people live the auspices of of intimidation and fear, and of course they're going to flee uh, are the choices they have either flee or fight is the only choice that they have, but if they don't have the means in terms of fighting back, then they flee. but then again, so someone has to say that to what extent does the u s role play in terms of facilitating the migrants in coming to the to the u s? Well, nobody wants to talk about that. They keep talking they keep vilifying the, the migrants, they demonize the migrants and and, and you know and, and, and somehow in, in, in demonize the migrants to create this perception that America is, is so great that people just gotta be here. And that's not why they're fleeing here. They're fleeing here literally because their lives are at stake in their homelands because of the conditions that were created by the United States. So this is this is this is one of the I mean, this is the big problem. So I would love to hear someone politician specifically say, Listen, We need to change U.S. foreign policy when it comes to Central and South America. Well, the world, actually. But this particular situation, Central and South America. But that's not going to happen. They continue to demonize and vilify the migrants because it's easy that way. So, you know, nobody should be surprised, you know, uh, that when we talk about this wall, it has nothing to do in terms of legitimately stopping people from coming into the U.S. It has more to do in terms of uh, legitimizing racism, xenophobia, uh, um, against you know uh, brown people who happen to be coming trying to get into the United States.
2: Oh, yeah. uh, you, you, your point is is, is, uh, is very uh, is very accurate and well taken. Uh, and I would add that uh, that because the capitalists made money off the exploitation of uh, uh, American Indian African labor <coughs> in these countries that this sort of thing continues. But the media never mentions why it is that people want to migrate from these countries to the U.S. They never get to the root of the problem. And and that's where a lot of people in the U.S. are, are very deceived and confused. Okay, on that note, uh, unless there are any other comments, we'll... Uh, take a break and if anyone uh uh wants to uh has questions or want to comment on what we're discussing please call uh call in at three two three six seven nine zero eight four one and hit one after you after you dial and we'll acknowledge the last four digits of your phone number and you can uh, comment or ask a question on, uh, on on the topic for tonight, which is uh, news you can use. So on that note. Uh, This is Anthony. Um, We'll uh, continue with the next segment of our program, which is uh, news you can use. And our first article is entitled, uh, Richmond Redevelopment and Housing Authority Begins Major Move to Turnover Public Housing to Private interests. This was uh written uh by Jeremy Lazarus on november twenty first, twenty eighteen. And uh, and uh, and it and uh, and it concerns the effort to privatize all the public and housing in Richmond. Uh typically um uh Brother Haki, when uh, when 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 institutions or organizations are privatized there 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 is an in, there is an in increase in the cost of for the people that utilize those services mm-hmm. could you discuss uh what the implications are for the uh for the masses uh uh, uh of people living in in the richmond area who are struggling to try to find affordable – to try to,
4: to find or maintain affordable housing. Yeah, but to keep in mind now, when I talk about the Richmond Redevelopment and the Housing Authority, and keep in mind, this is, this is something that's happening throughout the country. It's not just in Richmond, it's throughout the country. But as you alluded to, uh, you know, one of the things that they're, they're doing in terms of enrichment is that they're, they're setting off public housing. Now, the reason why they're setting off public housing, according to them, was the fact that there is this, the revenues to the city uh, have been um, indicate uh, have been um, slowly but surely uh, decreasing and so therefore in order to get the revenues it needs then it, it needs uh, revenues specifically from citizens who can afford to pay higher rents so when you talk about the fact that um, you know public public housing often leads to higher rents that's precisely what it is because what happens is that uh, uh, but, but before I even start that, let me just say that when we talk about high risk, one of the things you have to keep in mind first and foremost is that what happens is that typically these these properties are run down. In fact, there's no real investment in terms of these properties. So the, what happens is, is the wealthy people can come along, or wealthy corporations can come along and, and buy these properties at dirt cheap, and they in turn can, can renovate them, uh, not, not extravagantly, but enough to make it habitable. And and raise the rents and justifying uh you know higher rents just means that more and more uh uh receipts you know, for the city. At least that's what they think. Uh, so clearly that's the whole implication in terms of what's happening. But one of the things I, I think that the, the listeners should understand, um, brother Anthony, is this. You know, when we talk about um you know uh you know, higher 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 rents, there is a there is a there's there is a uh there is a downside to higher rents. So one of the things that when we talk about you know, uh, normally when you talk about housing, people should, according to experts, people should pay about 30% of the income for, for rent. In other words, you want to have certainly you want to have a you know exposable income where you can buy things like food, clothing, uh, other kind of things like books or whatever you may need in terms of you know uh, that the children may need for school. So clearly, most professionals will tell you that 30% of your income is adequate in terms of rent. Uh, but the problem is that in the context of capitalist system uh there's no real concern in terms of you know um, in terms of what what is adequate uh it 's all about the marketplace is what how much you can gain and so therefore, in their mind if you can if you can if you can charge two thousand dollars a month for properties then that 's what it 's going to be it 's going to be two thousand dollars a month irrespective of people 's ability to pay because what means that ultimately what what they 're going to do is advertise these, these, these properties you know, throughout the state, throughout the country, in which people who have deep pockets can effectively afford to come move here and assume those, those, those properties. So when we talk about gentrification, all, we're really talking about the fact that people don't have the resources um, to actually afford these properties. And so this is all by design when we talk about privatizing um, um, properties. And one of the things, Brother Anthony, I think it's important to understand also, there was a report that was done by the University of New Hampshire and the Boston University Social Work School and the University of Penn, and they talked about the fact that if over thirty-two percent of your income is geared toward 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 your, pen, your, pen your rent, then the reality is that homelessness is available for you. So that is and that is a problem. And particularly when we talk about when we talk about a lot of these these you know um, um, uh, housing credits. A lot of times, the the requirements are fifty percent, percent, you know, of your income is required to pay your rent, which means that if fifty percent of your of your of your of your the money you earn is for rent, then clearly the kind of disposable income you need in terms of buying, you know, like food, shelter, I mean, food, uh, clothing, um, uh, other kinds of things in terms of you know, car breakdown or your know, repairs. It complicates your ability to do all of that, which means that it, there's a lessening in terms of revenues coming to the the, the, the government the state or local uh, coffers, because you simply don't have the money in terms of investing you know in businesses so there's a double edged sword and so this is what you've got I understand so by raising rents this way you in in a in a, a, a final analysis you're not really doing the you're not really doing the the government any good in terms of being able to enhance its revenues. Because if people have to pay large amounts of money in terms of for for large amount of money for rent, then that means it cuts into other avenues in which you know you can't spend, which means it undermines the government's ability to bring in revenue or taxes. So clearly, you know, uh, it's a double-edged sword, and this is the thing that you know, unfortunately, privatization doesn't take into effect to some extent. This question in terms of greed is so prevalent, so pervasive, you know, in American society. Common sense doesn't doesn't mean anything whatsoever. And so unfortunately we don't have enough politicians who are principled enough to to stand up and say this is this is absurd that we need a situation in which people don't spend so much of their, their uh their, their their money on rent uh because it undermines the functioning of the economy. We need more politicians to actually stand up and say that, but there are none to be found.
5: Mm.
4: Good points. Uh brother
2: Robert, uh there, on the fourth paragraph of this article, it mentions that uh RRHA is embracing HUD's view that the very existence of low income public housing is being threatened by the twenty six billion dollar backlog in maintenance that Congress has no plans to fund. Uh right. let's see uh we had we had talked earlier about the billions that Trump is asking for to build this uh, wall between the U.S. Mexico border, and we've All talked right. earlier about the billions that are allocated toward the military. Do, uh, right. in, in your mind, couldn't some of that be used to alleviate this uh, uh, this backlog that HUD has?
1: Certainly, certainly. But what we have here is a Congress that that's in war with the people and uh it's trying to put the the burden of the balancing the budget and and uh paying off the deficit and all that on the back of the people as opposed to taxing the one percent of the rich and the wealthy. And there is no 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 uh incentive or no aspirations by Congress to 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 take that 26 billion dollar backlog and uh, fund it through through appropriating it from the wealthy, and this is this is a problem. We have a Congress with no backbone when it comes to looking out for the poor and the, and and low income people. And uh, Trump has ushered in his 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 uh, tax relief program for the wealthy. At the expense of the low and middle income people, and, and this is this is this is the the situation we are faced with. And uh, Mr. Archie said that uh, the Richmond Redevelopment Housing Authority is, you know, is basically just succumbing to the fact that uh, that you know there is no help coming from HUD. And it doesn't look like there's going to be any help coming. And so they're also abandoning their their, uh, responsibility in terms of housing and and for low-income and middle people around the Richmond area. They're shutting down uh, housing, uh, the small and large apartment complexes that provide housing for nearly 4,000 families and senior adults. And the average income for these people is about ten thousand dollars and, and obviously in 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 this in the the market it's not gonna gonna be friendly to someone with ten thousand dollar income uh, uh, they they can barely afford to, to survive on on the on the ten thousand dollars itself much less housing and so uh you know we're faced with with an uh, uh, enormous task to somehow get get uh, control of the housing situation and and get hurt and to stop gentrification and uh, and uh, to look and try to look out for the poor and, and middle income people and. It's just not happening. It's not happening, and while uh, the, well, the new Congress coming in may have more sympathy for them, but uh, the Senate is still stacked, and I don't see I don't see any relief coming in. They they've already got this PAYGO bill, which says basically that there there's an austerity program that uh, they're not going to provide any more money and overall to the to the economy and to the budget, uh, they're going to take take money away from uh, programs in order to fund it, or or increase taxes. And they and they're not going to increase taxes on the rich, it seems. And so we we just it's a bad situation, and we need we need to be organized. And we need to we need a revolution. We need it bad. Thank you.
5: Mm.
2: Hey, good points, and um, you know, and the thing it, I think it speaks to importance of having independent political organization, and uh, you know, the days we're we going to depend on the uh, on the duopoly, whether it's uh, wh- whether it's the Democratic or Republican side are long gone.
4: Okay,
2: um, moving forward. Let me just let
4: me just in real quick about you, Anthony. Let me just sure. All right, How- You know, one of the things Brother Rob was talking about, you know, you know when you talk about property rights, you know, versus human rights, uh, we've got to be very clear in the context of the capitalist system. Uh, property rights obviously takes precedent over human rights. In other words, your right to live as a human being is not recognized, uh, you know, by the Constitution, uh, but property rights certainly are recognized. In fact, uh, property rights is the be-all of everything. And so long as we have this mindset that people don't matter, that the, the, the needs of human beings is not an issue, then you continue to have a situation where people, you know, buy these collapidated properties. Uh, and they're collapidated simply because the government makes create a situation in which they ensure uh, these buildings, these, these, these properties become run down because the, the revenue, particularly when you talk about public housing, capital funds, which are used for the rehab of you know, public housing, is simply cut. Uh, recently, you know, um, Ben Carson was was interviewed. Um, well, not interviewed. He came before the Congress, and there was a congressman out of Texas. I can't even call his name. Anyway, he asked Ben Carson a specific question: How much money, uh, you know, are you? How much money are you proposing to cut, you know, from your housing, from public, public housing? Uh, ben Carson couldn't give me an exact number, <clears throat> but one thing he did kept saying, or he alluded to. He kept up by the fact that what they're doing is to make people more self-sufficient now, stop and think, stop and think about that. you work a job making ten dollars an hour and your rent is is a thousand dollars a month now in terms of being self-sufficient, how is it possible how is it possibly self-sufficient when you barely have make enough money you know on a monthly basis paid to rent now how could that how could that lead to self-sufficiency It can't so these guys are pretty much dis, disingenuous in terms of their outlooks. So I think to a large extent, you know, when we talk about this kind of shot and fraud, we talk about the kind of, um, of thrill, the kind of joy people see it, people human being suffering, I think it's very pronounced in American society, in part because we have a capitalist system in place which uh, values those who, quote, unquote, who are strong, independent, and, and, and vilified or, 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 or undermined those who are weak and uh, unresourceful. So I think that you know. So so when you talk about cutting 8.8 billion dollars from public housing, that's quite a bit of money. Now he's talking about 5 billion dollars for a stupid wall. Now you, t- you need to tell me that 3 3.8 additional 3.8 billion additional dollars for housing is unacceptable. It's, it's simply a question of priorities, and this is the thing that, that we had to understand. So to a large extent, this homelessness situation that we're talking about, this, this reduction of, of public housing. It's not because they essentially have to, it's because they choose to do so. Now, on the state level, on a local level, they can make the case. They're given in, in terms of the accounting uh, process, in terms of a lot of the um, uh, deductions that citizens and states historically have taken have all been eliminated by the federal government. So clearly, citizens and states are hard-pressed in terms of providing for their populace when it comes to housing. But clearly, the federal government has more than enough resources to make sure its citizens are not in the streets. But, but but like I said, I think this, this whole question in terms of schadenfreude, this whole notion, you know, taking joy at others' misfortune, I think is so strong, in the mind, particularly in the, in the political class, that this kind, of thing, this kind of thing in terms of homelessness is something in which uh, they take some type of thrill. At. So I, I think that uh, when Ben Carson talks about, uh, you know, self-sufficiency, you know, with a straight face, you know, I I think part of it is perhaps to keep his job because he got to say what the orange minutes want him to say, or to, to what extent does he really believe that he's actually helping people, working class people, you know, who are doing the best they can under the current uh, economic climate. So clearly, you know, uh, this question in terms of of, of homelessness, this, this elimination of public housing, has nothing to do in terms of what's in the best interest of a human being. As everything in the world to do with the best interest. Of the property owners or the or the capitalist class.
1: Good
2: point, and uh, I agree with that. And I, and I would add that um, that you know that 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 it is it comes down to a question of priorities, and it's going to take a major change, uh, and uh, uh, you know, in in the government, to, uh, you know, to reorient those priorities. And uh and um you know, and the thing and we living in an era where finance capital dominates, which means that property takes precedent over human rights, as you stated. But that's because um uh you know, uh you know, this uh, the the interests of the society are dominated by, by by finance capital. Now when we create a society that's dominated by workers by labor, then we, we, we'll see a fundamental change. Uh, just wanna uh, you know, remind people that if you have any questions or comments, please feel to call in at 323-679-0841 and hit one at the prompt and we'll acknowledge the last four digits of your phone number and you can make your question or comment. Uh, Moving on, Um, Brother Robert, um, there was an article uh, written uh, November 25th, 2018 by uh, Marcez Onosko saying that uh, uh, the Polish Prime Minister says the U.S. is the only real guarantor of European security. Uh Poland is now a part of NATO. Uh let's see, what is your take on uh on this article?
1: Well the U the US is uh can you hear me?
2: Yeah, I can hear you.
1: The US the US is is is, is is backed by its alliances, um, its, its military alliances, NATO. And, uh, this is not, it's no longer, uh, um, it's being, it's being challenged by the British and the French who are saying basically that they, they need to not depend on the U S anymore. Basically they want their own military. Uh, and, um, this is the, um, this, um, more or whatever uh uh it's, it's, it says we would like Europe as a whole the strength of its military potential. And um and um this is this is all due to the Brex Brexit exit and uh and um and the, the desire to not be dependent upon the US. uh b- Trump is, is definitely uh uh a chauvinist and uh and and uh as he says, let's make America great again and this is all meaning basically that he wants to to be the number one imperialist power and 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 uh have everybody serve his interests and you know, he's America first, et cetera, et cetera. And so everybody's supposed to carties to, to whatever the u s interest is and this this is no longer acceptable to the to the british and the french apparently so so this is this is this is a, a reflective of that that mentality uh, uh um but but uh it's a reaction to to them them by the polish ambassador i guess uh saying basically that the u s the key u s that that they are dependent upon the u s and they, the u s is the only one that can guarantee their security being challenged and you know? and that's basically what's going on uh, um i think that uh that um uh, nato and um uh, nato is, is uh, needs to be broken up properly i think uh uh because it's it's it was all it's just an imperialist force anyway, and it, it, I don't see any good coming out of it. Uh, it's just there to intimidate
5: the
1: Soviet Union, the ex-Soviet Union, and uh, China, et cetera, and and um, I don't see any good coming out of it. And so the the but the French and the Germans and the uh, British. All are trying to develop their own military uh, uh, apparatus uh, to defend themselves is um, more militarization than, and, uh, and uh, it may be necessary, but but uh, I don't know that it's a good thing right now. Somehow we need to all be demilitarized in the U.S., but under Trump, that's not going to happen. So they they have a legitimate reason to be trying to get a
4: military. Thank you. I agree. I, I agree with brother brother Moses. I I agree mm-hmm. with Brother Moses. Uh one of the things I we gotta keep in mind, when you talk about uh being a guarantee a guarantee of uh, European security, one of the things you gotta keep in mind, this notion in terms of uh subsidizing US debt is coming to an end. When Russia and China, you know, uh, create their own um, uh, currency for trade, uh, when countries like Iran uh, join them, uh, or or even Venezuela for that matter, when they join these 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 powerful countries in terms of creating a new currency for trade, the effect is going to cut the U.S. out in terms of its access to world to world dollars. In other words, uh, the U.S. is in position uh, a unique position where it can create all kinds of debt with no problems because people need the dollar in terms of functioning. Now, once Russia and China create the, 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 the systems, they have to use their own currencies for the purpose of world trade, then they have no need for dollars, which means that the world will no longer subsidize U.S. debt, which means clearly the U.S. Has no, won't have the kind of resources it needs in terms of providing for the European security. But more importantly, the thing that Brother, Robert, Brother Moses alluded to so one of the things that increasingly America is telling the European, the European Union what it can and can't do, it's telling them who they can trade with, who they can't trade with, what they can, what, what commodities they can trade in, what commodities they can't trade in. Uh, so increasingly uh, the, the, the European, European Union comes to the realization that, you know, that without their own military, particularly France and Germany, uh, without their own military, they're essentially a um, pawn for the U.S. And they're not, they're not willing to be a pawn for the U.S., and so, therefore, in terms of European security, it lies somewhere outside of the scope of America. and so this notion that the America that the, when the Polish leader said America he provide for european security, he, he, he's seriously mistaken. I think that what he's really doing that he's attempting you know to I think he's trying to create a favorable situation where possibly uh, maybe the, the the trade between Poland and the u s may improve or well, maybe military weaponry have a better deal in terms of having access to military weaponry out of the U.S. But clearly this notion that it can provide European security is foolish. Not even European leaders believe that. And I think that, you know, earlier when I talked about the fact that the British are talking about, you know, uh, re- reestablishing imperialist world, uh, its imperialist roots, clearly it's talking about in competition with the United States. So they can never see the United States as a guarantor guarantir- guarantir- uh, of its, of its Security. So clearly, uh, the Polish uh, leader, political leader, was incorrect, and I think that the best thing in the world for the European Union is to go a different route, uh, hopefully, and one without that doesn't include imperialism, one in which creates a new paradigm in which you know they, they see the, the importance in terms of creating a world, you know, of justice, a world of of, of, of peace, a world of mutual uh, respect. So. Uh, and certainly the U.S. can never provide those kind of things because imperialism is not based upon any of those things. Imperialism is about raw greed, avarice, and destruction. So clearly, it can never provide for the European security.
2: And I would add competition, which is why, which is one of the reasons why, uh, uh, which is going to be uh, 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 an undermining factor in imperialism's uh, downfall and actually what, what what you know what is happening is that there's a shift in balance of power and uh and uh let's see and uh that's why the europeans are uh, 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 you know advocating creating an independent military independent of uh, the us and that's partly because uh you know the competition for control of resources and markets is heating is heating up again uh, because uh, because the resources of the planet are limited and the resistance to imperialism is increasing, not decreasing. But
4: okay,
5: and, and you know okay, what? In that, in
4: that, in that, in that sort of and that sort of and that sort of underscores. That sort of underscores the desperation that the U.S. feels. So people don't understand. You see all these, you know, all these military formations throughout the world. When you look at Africa. You look at all these military units stationed in Africa. We talk about Africom, mm-hmm. and the question is, so why are they there? I mean, you know, I mean clearly, they're there, in their mind is to protect their interests. Their interest is making to ensure the underdevelopment of Africa, to ensure that they continue to export Africa for its resources. That's why they're there. And they're very desperate for that, because of all the continents in the world they're focusing heavily on Africa, and so that speaks to the kind of desperation that they feel then superposed upon that situation where you have China, which is the number one economic power in the world, uh followed by Japan and russia uh clearly uh these countries are seeking a different kind of paradigm, not so much Japan as russia and China it's seeking a different kind of paradigm in which you know um, you know uh, legitimate trade uh Balance and fair trade is the rule of the day, and to ensure that every every country gets what it needs in terms of providing for its populace. Uh, that doesn't set well with American leadership because their thing is predicated on the exploitation of human beings and their resources. And so, therefore, the similar demonstration. This is why they're talking about going to war. Now, they recently read an article where they're talking about where they, they're convinced, you know, that they can they can defeat their Russia. Well, the problem is that Russia just recently innovated some, some technologies, uh, a, a missile, I mean, travels five times the speed of sound. Uh, so it, it, even if the U.S. launches a countermeasure, it won't be quick enough. Uh, it's so evasive in terms of the, at, at the speed in which it moves. It's so invasive that uh, it, it, the U.S. won't have opportunity to even knock it out the sky. So clearly uh, that's a very dangerous precedent to take to actually try to take on Russia in terms, of military, in terms of military war. Now, China, the same thing. China also has the military technology that if you, you know, if you detect them nuclearly, then they're going to respond in kind, which means that's essentially the end of the world. So with the desperation, which is so scary about all this, you've got to think about desperation in terms of these political leaders. So you've got people like John Bolton. This, this guy has no conscience. I mean, he operates as though, you know, it's, it's somebody he's, he's not even human. I mean, so 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 it gets always so, so if if you're not afraid, then you better get afraid, because it only takes one slip. In terms of uh, recent I mean, back in the in, I think it be back in the '80s, where um, Russia picked up it was a giant bird and they thought it, they picked it up as a missile. They thought it interpreted it as a missile. A good thing they double checked to make sure it wasn't a, a missile coming from the U.S. Because otherwise, the world would have been destroyed. Uh, so those kind of things are always possible, and this is why they threat of nuclear, uh, you know, nuclear annihilation is very, very, real Which is why you have to have these, these Discussions around you know, limiting that But what does the Orange Minutes do? He destroys the INF Treaty To prevent this kind of thing from happening So if people are not afraid Then you better become afraid Because it doesn't take much for these, for these systems to, to inappropriately identify something That's not what they think it is And to fire a missile and then The country in kind respond, Which is effectively the end of the, or the planet so clearly you you know um you know the us is in US is very, very desperate and uh you know everything that it does reflects that kind of desperation yeah
2: good point uh let's see uh i uh, on that note um we'll take uh, we'll take another break and continue with an uh with with an, our next article uh concerning uh the us labor market uh, if anybody has a question or comment, please call us at three two three six seven
3: nine zero eight four one and press one. In the White illegal, you're in a milan, dig out me gold, in a milan, dig in out me pearl, in a milan, dig out me diamond, we have a fight, 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 fight against the far side.
2: Uh, amid a tight U.S. labor market, restaurant chains are recruiting at churches, senior centers, senior centers and, uh, and AARP by Leslie Patton, dated November 5, 2018. Uh, and this is why um, entitled Why Restaurants Are Hiring Senior Citizens Over Teens uh Brother Robert I'd like you to take the lead on this one um, what are the um uh, uh the implications of this change for um for for youth that might be seeking employment uh and also um you know it it points out that um that the number of youth available for these types of jobs is declining while the senior population is increasing?
1: Yeah, well, the the young people uh, don't have much of a future in these jobs anyway. I mean, these are are not exactly the jobs that they go to schools to obtain, uh, but these are the jobs that they have. Result to it because of a lack of opportunities, and um, and that's the first thing. But the 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 situation is such that uh, the older population is 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 in need of income, and uh, and uh, the lack of retirement benefits, etc. And so they're looking for jobs, and um, and these these. Restaurants and fast food chains are seeking to um, to make them um, uh, an offer, uh, opportunity out and to employ them. Uh, they're reliable in that in that they're older workers and uh, and more desperate, probably in their minds than than some of the younger people, and so they're more reliable. Uh, but this this is this this uh, is a sign that that um you know the, the our long life of work within the u s economy does not lead to a, a benefit such that you can retire on and be comfortable and so you're forced back into the job market and uh and of course the situation being that there are a lack of jobs in the first place and a lack of opportunities in the first place, and so you're competing with these teenagers who, need, who, who are trying to enter the workforce. And it's, it's just a catch-22 situation. Uh, um, and it's, it's a no-win situation, basically, uh, for the working class anyway. Thank you.
2: Okay, uh, Haki, what are what are your thoughts on this article?
5: You
4: know, what what I what I you know, I you know, you know, it's the kind of um perceptions that take place you know, when you probably these articles are astounding. One of the things that when we talk about the fact that senior citizens are taking jobs historically young have always taken, speaks values in terms of this notion that in fact that this economy is at full employment. And often when we talk about full employment, you know, people think when they talk about full employment, they're actually saying that everybody who wants a job can have one. Of course, that's never been the situation. In fact, when they tried that back in 1968, I mean, hum- Humphrey Hawkins' bill, to create jobs for everybody who wanted one, they voted it down. And the question is, why would they vote down a bill that provides jobs for everybody who wants one? The reason being it's a capitalist society. In a capitalist society, you, they're still as full employment, uh, because the employment levels are based upon uh, the extent that that employment affects profits. In other words, the more people who don't have jobs, the higher the profits. And so that's what capitalism is all about. So when people say the economy is at full employment, I always laugh, I'm like, interesting. So I just wanted to point that out, that uh, when you talk about full employment, it has nothing to do, in the literal sense, with they're talking about everybody who own a job can have one. The system's not designed to do that. Uh, if, in fact, everybody who wanted a job could have one, it would be a socialist system. Uh, increasingly, people are, you know, waking up to the reality that the social, a socialist system is in their best interest. But nonetheless, those positions of power always maintain, you know, that full employment or, or the possibility of full employment to the extent that everybody can have a job and wants one is to be avoided at all costs. So clearly, uh, so when we talk about seniors doing these kind of jobs, you know clearly is, is, is you know uh they're doing so uh simply because you know you know uh there's something cheaper to hire as opposed to to the young people and the second in addition to that, I think one of the things why so many seniors in the workplace too is because they have to subsidize their social security or their pensions uh they're so meager, and so what happens is that they have to find themselves you know at, at you know at you know sixty seventy eighty years of age, they're still working uh so clearly. Uh, it speaks uh, values in terms of how the economy really functions. Uh, so when people say that the economy is doing well and things are fine, then you should you should think back to, to to this article in terms of its many implications, particularly when it talks about full employment.
5: Mm.
2: And I would add also that, uh, that uh, you know, that uh, it's uh, partly a quality of life is to some extent, because uh, they mentioned boredom as uh, as a part of the reason why you know uh, some retirees are returning to the workforce but i uh, but I think the bottom line is the fact that um, that the pensions and social security uh, benefits that 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 they that they worked uh, that they were in the workforce for for thirty, forty or fifty years uh you know du- uh, you know doesn't go enough to meet uh you know their basic needs and they have to you know what uh, and they're forced to supplement you know their meager incomes and also with i think it uh you know it creates a situation that makes it more difficult for you know those who um those youth who resort to entering the labor market early in order to help their families. Even though even though their wages might not be adequate to do that. But um you know, but historically, you know, some youth have relied upon, you know, these jobs and in, 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 in restaurants and other retail establishments uh, you know, to uh you know uh you know put some money in their pocket to, to 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 take care of their wants if not basic needs on their own and they are be by help out with household expenses and um, you know and that and that seems to be uh more difficult now you know, I'm and, just, you
5: know tell me-
4: Go ahead.
5: Yeah, uh, one of the
4: things earlier when we when, when we when we talked about you know liquidating you know public housing, uh, one of the things that a lot of senior citizens depend on subsidized housing, uh, which means that as they can uh, keep in mind in ten years all all subsidized housing on, on any level, is going to be getting rid of. It'll be no more public housing on any level in ten years, which means that people who are senior. Uh, who depend on subsidized housing won't have access to that, which means that they're going to have to work anyway. So the, so, so there's a fundamental question in terms of fairness. I mean, people who worked all their lives, played by rules of the game, won't have access to housing because those rich people's position is that, you know, these the, the, the lives of the elderly are not worthy of respect. So clearly, uh, you know, um, this is something that's come down the road, and it's something that's going to affect increasingly larger and larger number of people in the society. So it's something that we seriously need to think about. True.
2: And these are, uh, and they're seriously implications about what's going to happen to our elderly. And also, and also it's going to make it harder for the working masses to, uh, you know, support their families because historically, uh, especially a lot of poor families, you know, are sort of dependent upon their older children in their teens to be able uh, to be able to work to uh, you know to augment you know their uh, limited income. So it's going to be interesting to see what uh, what implications are of that. Okay. If there are no other comments, uh, we'll move on to the next article uh, entitled Jamie Demon Loves Private Prisons uh, by Hamilton Nolan, dated April 30th, 2018. Uh, let's see, and it appears in uh, Justice Journal. And uh this is about the private prison industry. And um you know, its effect on um on uh on on, on the on the working poor. Haki, I would like you to take the lead on this one uh let's see uh what did you uh take uh from this article that
4: people should pay particular close attention to yeah first i'm just explaining that Jamie, jamie jamie uh Jamie Diamond is the head of j p morgan chase uh one what i think it's the um second largest bank in the country uh it's also responsible for retail as well as commercial uh investments. Uh, so clearly has access to lots and lots of money. But one of the things that you know Jamie Dimon said recently, which gave me gave me pause, and he said that and this is a quote: "He said recession is not a bad thing." End quote. Now, recession is not a bad thing. Now, if you're a person who's without job, without access to, to any kind of resources, recession is a recession is a horrible thing. But what Jamie Dimon was saying, that given the fact that uh, J.P. Morgan Chase has you know so many holdings in terms of retail and commercial. Uh, that they're pretty much set uh, as a billion-dollar uh, organization, and they don't have any problems at all. Also, I suspect that he's talking about the fact that they can acquire business, small businesses, all the time, because in times of recession, when businesses go out of uh, go out of service, and he can buy them for mere, you know, pittance. Uh, I mean, literally, you know, uh, nickels. I mean, dimes on the dollar. So clearly, uh, he has a, a, a strategic advantage in terms of being in a position you know, to benefit, you know, uh, you know, when the economy goes south. Uh, also, uh, when you talk about his huge investment in terms of you know private prisons, uh, that's a boondoggle. And one interesting thing when we talk about private prisons, that over the last two decades, the um, the number of actual actually the number of, of federal prisoners actually been going down, and so the need for private prisons actually never existed. But despite the fact that Obama you know uh, signed into law a, a means to get rid of these private prisons, Trump was a, a selected, and he decided that private prisons would be you'd be um, reinstated. So the consequences, you know, his rich buddies have been investing. in particular, Jamin Diamond of J.P. Morgan and Chase, have been investing big money in terms of prisons because one of the them he understand is that Donald Trump is a, a law and order kind of human Uh And so therefore, his thing is that
1: Hello. Right. We seem to have lost our key. Oh wow!
2: Yeah. Okay. Um, well, anyway, he was saying that um, that basically um, what I think his point was that uh, that uh, the banks are making a lot of money off of these private prisons. Exactly. And indeed they are. And at the expense of the uh, working masses, of people.
1: Yeah, I thought it was interesting that the article starts out with the question what is the most immoral industry? And he says tobacco, maybe guns, you know, a contender. But he said it's hard to imagine any other industry more loathsome than private prisons. You know, and so, you know the the fact that they are trying to make money off the the imprisonment of people and uh, to use them as workers and cheap labor and uh, and uh, to profit from uh, their imprisonment is pretty loathsome uh, uh, and uh, you know the prisoners prisoners are are, are captive labor force and they're forced to labor and make these uh, different products for industry, uh, but the the whole idea of just just getting getting uh, money for imprison for building prisons to incarcerate the mass incarceration of people and and the profit off that that uh, incarceration. That's pretty low itself, uh um and that's that was one of the main points of the article I thought. You're right. I agree with
2: you. And also, um uh let's see, they um uh you, you know, they uh you, you know, this is uh this is why the rate of incarceration is going up. One of the uh root because there is a lot of money to be made by privatizing prisons. I mean, they get labor for dirt sheep, uh, and, uh, and, they, and they cut services, uh, you, know, you know, to the bone in terms of providing uh, for, for food, clothing, and shelter for, the, for those who are imprisoned. And uh and and uh and, and and uh you know, this is terrible because uh, you know, because uh, prisoners do not get adequate health care. Uh, you know, they don't uh, that that they're not that they're not provided any sort of uh education that would uh that would allow them to uh mitigate the circumstances under which they were imprisoned in the first place. So it's a very evil
1: you
4: know, uh, system. Yeah. About happens Yeah.
1: The military industrial complex is, is, um, the prison system, prison industrial complex is, is, is enormous. It's a, it's a lot of, a lot of people in prison and, and, uh, it's just, it's atrocious. It's a very bad situation. And, they're in, some are in prison for, for minor, uh, nonviolent, uh, crimes. And, uh, you know, lately there's been a movement to, to, uh, to, uh, try to alleviate some of that with, this, with new rules on, on, uh, on the incarceration, uh, uh, mass incarceration. And, uh, they're trying to alleviate some of this, some of this, but, uh. But the basic
2: situation still remains. Yeah. Sarah, we lost so your mic. Can you hear me? Yeah. Do you hear me?
4: Yeah. Okay. Yes. Well, they, they cut me off, bro. They cut me off, bro.
2: <laughs> listen.
4: Uh, listen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, listen. The thing is that it's important to note is that there's two companies in the corrections field that are making some billions and billions of dollars: GEO Group and Core Civic they're making billions and billions of dollars. Now here's the thing. Now when we talk about the cost per inmate, it varies between thirty one thousand dollars a year to sixty thousand I mean thirty one thousand dollars per inmate to sixty thousand dollars per inmate. Now on this on this state level is even more uh convoluted because what happens is that uh they make these 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 organizations, these corporations actually uh make, make decisions, contracts with the states to say that we would incarcerate X number of people, but we would have to have them for X number of years to ensure profitability. So the states are locked in into a contract in which they have to provide these corporations with inmates to fill up these prisons. So if people don't get the implication of that, let me spell it out for you. It means that if the prison population fall and becomes expensive for the states, uh, you know, uh, to, to maintain a prison facility, then what has to happen is that we have to change the laws to make it more, make it more amenable to incarcerate more people for, for more and more kinds of crimes. So the number of, books on the, number of crimes on the book will actually increase because you've got to justify the prison population. You've got to justify placing people in those prison spaces because the states are paying for them. So that's the incentive of it all. And so when we talk about the billions, kind of billions and billions of dollars that they make, uh, you know, clearly, Jamin diamond. Uh, is like, like all capitalists, he don't give a damn about the the, the 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 broader implications for society. He's more concerned in terms of dollars and cents, and clearly they're making dollars and cents at the expense of the, of the broader society. But anyway, I just wanted to throw that a little bit in.
2: Yeah, and I would add that that is the, that is probably the root behind these mandatory sentence, sentencing laws. That take the discretion of uh, you know of, of uh, from the judges for de, uh, for determining the appropriate punishment based upon the context in which the particular crime was committed. So people need to, need to understand that 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 is probably the root uh, the the root of why a lot of these mandatory sentencing laws are in the book. Because you have thousands of people that are being that are serving life sentences for nonviolent crimes in, in, in several states,
4: you know it's, it's, it's like Michelle Alexander book. You know, it's just, it's just perpetuation, or continuation of slavery, and I and, know and people don't want to, don't want to see it that see it that way. But that's essentially what it is. When we talk about you know uh, you know um, you know how we occupy historically, when we live in terms of you know. Kind of um, uh, abuse that we that we suffered, uh, particularly the exploitation of our labor uh, in a, his you know you know in the of slavery times. Now, when we look in terms of the evolution of these prisons, it's the same thing: it's exploitation of your labor. So what happens is that you end up working you know you know for you know a dime you know a dime an hour, in some cases you know a, a buck a day, uh, that kind of thing. So clearly you know um, this this notion in terms of or, or the remnants of slavery. Haven't ended, and so much as people like to believe that we're more enlightened, more, um, more, uh, more sensitive in society. The reality is that nothing has nothing has changed. The form has changed, but the essence remains the same.
2: Very good point. And as a that fact, to give uh, give a, a concrete example of that, uh, the Angola plantation, which was the largest slave pl- uh, plantation in Louisiana uh for now read uh today is a prison it, it is a prison today it used to be a slave plantation and ironically uh the prisoners pick cotton for about uh as little as four cents an hour that's today that that is that is happening and uh and a lot of people uh, uh you know uh don't understand that prisoners are are used as a form of uh cheap labor and so it's not about you know uh, crime and punishment necessarily as portrayed in the uh movies and uh and on television
4: yeah it is inter- it is interesting they could use, you know, inmate labor, these corporations, and make tons and tons of money, and nobody says anything in terms of this illicit practice where corporations going into these prisons, and you know, and, and, and have these these men and women, you know, working for peanuts when they sell their product for 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 extravagant, you know, uh, uh, profits. And nobody says anything at all about that. Nobody see a fundamental problem with that. And so, and when we talk about all this un- unemployment that exists in society. It seems to me that, particularly so, that these right-wing individuals be the first to say is a practice which they shouldn't condone simply because those should be jobs going to the public sector as opposed to taking those jobs inside a prison and where you're actually, you know, um, building things like computers, like furniture, um, you, you name it, you know, right in prison, you know, electronic parts, you build it right in prison, and you're paying these people peanuts uh, at the expense of the populace at large. So it's very interesting that nobody, no politician says anything about this illicit practice. And because we're talking about we talk about corporate because we talk about capitalism, you know, it's all about the bottom line. It's never about what's right. It's never really about what's sane or just. It's all about the bottom line. And so this is the real the real danger that all of us face because in a type of society which who 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 Whose who's, 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 who's essence is You know The pursuit of things Then, then anything then In and everything they do is, is is always possible And so I think that We gotta be very very concerned uh, When you know, this kind of thing uh, To come home to lose mm. True
2: And
1: You yeah, uh, the California, California
3: prisoners
1: uh, To fight the fires out there In California
4: Yes 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 Yes. Is it aimless to fight the fire? Yes. You know, as opposed as opposed to hiring people, where it's cheaper to use them as opposed to hiring people who need jobs. But again, it's, it's you know, I, I don't know what to I don't know what to say. This is this is the essence of capitalism. This is the essence of capitalism. There's no morality. So people who talk about capitalism as a moral system are people who don't even understand have, have an inkling in terms of how capitalism actually works. It has nothing to do with morality. You know, morality, in fact, gets in the way in terms of profits. Any time anything gets in the way of profit, it has to go. So morality is something right. that's, that's, that's disregarded, something that's unimportant, something that's uh, superfluous as far as the ruling class is concerned. And and I I don't know what it's going to take for people to understand that fundamental reality, understand that that kind of thought impinges on your right as a human being to even exist. We have also gone to the notion yeah. that, given what we our status in society depending on uh, uh, whether or not we have a right to exist. But what happened to all the religious leaders, all the clergy? Uh, don't, don't all human beings have a right to exist? Who who gave the, the system the power to determine who lives and dies? Who gave the system the power to determine who eats, who doesn't eat? Who gave the system the power to determine, you know, uh, you know, uh, who's worthy and who's not? You know, to me, at some point, you know, the clergy got to become, become you know, a part of the solution in terms of getting people to understand that this capitalist kind of system's got to go, because if it doesn't go, human, humanity got to go. If, you, if humanity doesn't go, then it's a planet. So, and so we're caught in we caught we a vicious we're in a vicious cycle here, you know. And the system, you know, no question about it, it's the most exploited exp, exploited system on the face of the earth, and there's no getting around that. It, it
2: is, and the thing about the, and and. Uh... Brother Africa pointed out quite a while ago correctly that the uh, privatization of prisons is uh, it, 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 it is really a, a, a modern form of uh, a refinement of chattel slavery, and, and, in essence, because um, you know uh, uh, you, you know the, uh, uh, the, the 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 workers. Who 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 do what who 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 do the work don't make anything, and uh, and and the cap, and the capitalists who run the system make make all the profits, and the people suffer, and I think what it's going to take is for people for people to be awakened. Unfortunately, is for conditions to get so uh, to get so bad that. That, the, the, that that they can no longer afford the escape mechanisms that capitalism provides, like entertainment, drugs, and alcohol, in order to uh, escape reality. And uh, but I think to the extent that people are able to do that, the more difficult it is to get people to wake up to the reality that 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 that, that we have to, to have to make a change in the system. Only the people organized can
4: do that. I, I think you're right. I think it's something um, extraordinary, uh, something truly dis- destructive on a mass scale. Before most people realize that what the real danger is, I think right now uh, people have all kinds of distractions. I mean, you can drink, you can use drugs, uh, you know, you can just ignore the reality. I mean, you know, so there's too many distractions. But at some point, like the people in France, you're going to realization that you get, you have a moral responsibility, political responsibility to stand up, business family because they ain't going anywhere. Brother Anthony, you got four minutes left. Okay. Uh, we'll begin to uh uh
2: let's see uh uh close out with our, uh, our our final thoughts. Uh let's see uh starting with you
1: uh Brother Moses Yeah I think we we covered a lot of ground tonight. Uh, I think you know we have all these uh, escape mechanisms that that uh, distract us uh, from seeing the problem or really getting involved in solving the problem uh, and getting organized. And I think sports, sports right now, sports is one of the biggest distractors we have. Uh, baseball, football, basketball, soccer, soccer—all these different items uh, that where people are. Uh, spend their time and their energy and their money uh, pursuing the interests of these multimillionaires. And, and, uh, but we've, we've got to get organized. That's uh, no question about that. Uh, uh, and I just hope that we can. Thank you.
2: You're welcome. Uh, brother Haki, um, uh, let's see uh, y- your final comments, and um, and also tell people how they can uh, ha- uh, help support the African Awareness Association.
4: Uh, first, um, people can contact us at uh, uh, African Awareness, PO 4433, four three three, Richmond, VA two three two two zero. Also, they can give us a call. Area code eight oh four five four nine seven four nine two. Uh yes, so uh, we're 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 can you hear me? Can you hear me?
2: Yeah, I can hear you. I can hear you. There's so uh, okay. there's a fi- I, I, there's a fire engine going by uh on my street. I'm sorry. About...
4: Okay. Uh, in any event my, my, my final my final statement is this. You know, um you know, like always, I encourage people to unravel the matrix. Uh, one of the things is very, very clear. Um, We're we in a very um situation right now, um, and it's not going to get any better. People uh, using the power positions is that, in order to maintain that power, their level of ruthlessness has to actually increase, which means that uh, for masses of folks, you know, in the society, uh, there's a price to be paid. So rather than the situation become critical, it's important that people become organized, begin to debate what the issues are and begin to have some inkling, some understanding in terms of what you're going to do as the situation continues to deteriorate. Without that, there's no hope of of, uh, making it through this insanity. So that's the core reality, and that's not hyperbole. That's just core reality. And I want to say good night. Okay, good night. Thanks,
2: uh, Brother Haki. Thanks, Brother Robert. And uh, let's see. And uh, this is Anthony. I'm an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party G.C. You can find out more about uh, this organization through our website at www.a-aprp-gc.org. And uh, please search website for more information about our organization and, uh, and the solution to our problem, which is Pan-Africanism. The total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Thanks, and uh, thanks for your time. For whatever, always and good night.
3: Africa is
0: the center of the world.
3: Latitude zero,
0: longitude zero. Planned by the Creator. Sizanthropy we give you Africa, the
3: center of the world.